chapter number 21. That's where we're at tonight, and we pick up in verse number 24. And Lord willing, and the creek don't rise or something unforeseen doesn't happen, well, we're going to try to get through with this chapter tonight. And as I said, we've got to be out of here uh, and so the others can be in here by 8 o'clock, and so we might get through a minute or two early. So Proverbs 21 and verse number 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. You know, if uh, if I was preaching a sermon tonight on this text, it, I guess it'd make a good title uh, to call it "Proud and Haughty Scorner." But but that's a name nobody would want. You know, what's your name? Oh, Proud and Haughty Scorner. You know, yeah. Uh, well, you you know, the fact of the matter is, we're all known for something. I'll think about that. Even though we might not bear a particular name when others think of us, when they see us, when they hear about us, automatically there are certain things that come to their mind. And that's the way it is with this fellow. Well, it might not be a fellow, it might be a woman, who knows? Proud and haughty scorner is his name. And so that is an expression of what other people think about him based on what they see in him. Here is a man that is fueled by his pride. He scorns uh, other people. He ridicules other people. Uh, Being proud, he thinks he's better than other people, that he's smarter than other people, that he deserves more than other people. And as a result of that, he deals harshly with other people. You know, this is about the most unbecoming thing of a Christian that we can imagine. To think about being proud and haughty when we're nothing more than sinners saved by grace. I mean, here we are as sinful and vile as we are, deserving absolutely nothing, as Jeremiah said, is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. I mean, that's the only, only thing, you know, that has kept us alive, the only thing that kept us going. And, uh, and we have nothing to be proud of. But here is the proud and the haughty scorner. Now, verse 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him. Wow, that's... Strong language, the desire of the, of the slothful person that won't work, it kills him. I, I mean, he cost him his life. Notice, for his hands refuse to labor. Now, we could talk about that verse for quite a while, but all we need to do is go on to the next verse because here we, we see uh, the ruin of the person that he's talking about. And so this is a continuation of the thought. It says, He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. Uh, this, this is a, a picture of the miseries of the slothful person. Somebody, in other words, that is able, they have the ability They have the opportunity, just like anybody else, but they refuse to work. 
And and notice, and you've often heard me say going through Proverbs in different instances that uh, people like this little soulful person wishes, but he won't work. And, and notice here, he coveteth greedily. Uh, and, and so there is this covetous attitude. He he wants, but he's not willing to work for it. You know, he, he wants somebody to give it to him. And notice that that this is constant. He coveteth greedily, not just once in a while. You know, it's one thing, you know, to kind of get a grip on this matter of being covetous and, and to be satisfied and you go along and, and and you think to yourself, hey, I'm doing pretty good at this. You know, I've got everything I want, everything I need. I'm just as content as I can be. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see something like, man, I wish I had that. And here you go again. But but you see, with, with most of you, that is something that, uh, that is something you do occasionally. It's not your way of life. But notice with this fellow here, he does this every day, all day. It is constant. Uh, he's never satisfied. He's always wanting something, always wanting more, always wanting better, always wanting bigger, but he's not willing to work for it. He just absolutely wants a handout. Well, that just pretty well describes a lot of people in America today with this entitlement mentality, you know, that in their mind, it's my right, you know, I deserve this. And in reality, they don't. Now, compare the righteous person. The righteous person, is a he is a giver instead of a taker. It says, the righteous giveth and spareth not. In other words, he didn't hold anything back. He, he's generous. Now, that doesn't mean he's stupid. That doesn't mean that he deprives his family of their needs and, and, and gives everything to the first person that he runs across out here. That, that, that's not the point. It's just describing somebody that's a giver instead of a taker, somebody that is generous with what they have. And boy, you know, we ought to thank God for people like that. Here is somebody that is concerned about others and generous toward others. The opposite of the slothful person who's not willing to work to get what he wants, this person is willing to give even, you know, uh, what sometimes he doesn't really have. Somebody posted a, a thing today that was, uh, I saw the word hero, and this being December the 7th, naturally, uh, that the first thing that came to my mind, that this was going to be something about uh, uh, someone that had been there, done that, and uh, but it was talking about a homeless man. And, uh, and there, there was this young man, I'm guessing he was 15 or 16 years old. He was a street kid in one of the big major cities. And he's out on the sidewalk, and, and it is cold, and the wind is blowing. And the, he's got a short sleeve shirt on, if I remember right. And he has a big trash bag. And this kid crawls in that trash bag there and is trying right out on the side, side of the sidewalk and doing his best to get warm. And for two hours, people went by. It showed some of them with their shopping bags in the name of the big department stores and what have you, and, and just one after another going by. Nobody stops to inquire, are you okay or anything? Finally, this old homeless guy comes up and the homeless guy, you know, he's got a stocking cap on. He's got his old, old, you know, dirty-looking coat on. And 
and he, he gets down next to that kid and takes his coat off and puts it around him, puts it on him, and talks to him and tries to encourage him. You know, I, I, I've discovered over the years that, that in most instances, the most generous person is someone who, number one, doesn't have anything to speak of, or number two, they've been poor and they know what it is to do without. And consequently, as a result of being raised poor, you know, they're, they're willing to give. It's those that have been raised with a silver spoon in their mouth that, uh, you know, I'm, man, they've just had everything given to them. They've never had to work for anything, and they are the most selfish, stingy uh, people on earth. Well, notice here, boy, and it talks about uh, somebody that, that wishes but won't work. He says they kill themselves. They're committing suicide slowly. Uh, you know, they're not just depriving themselves because of their unwillingness to work. It's detrimental to their well-being. So they're, well, it gets back to that old saying, you know, like my daddy used to say, hard work never killed anybody. And, uh, and, and, and I, I think that's, that's certainly true. We, uh, it, it doesn't hurt any kid to learn how to work. Verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. Well, anytime you see the word abomination, immediately it all just reach out and grab you by the throat because there's something about that word that ought to get your attention because it has God's attention. It's an abomination to God. It's sickening to God. Notice what he's talking about, however. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more? when he bringeth it with a wicked mind. Now, this actually is a repeat of chapter 15 and verse number 8, but this verse intensifies the thought because it adds this, this last phrase where he says, how much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind. So this is intensifying what he has already said. Now, the point is a, a wicked person, regardless of what he does, cannot please the Lord. Remember we talked about that verse says even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Now it doesn't make any difference what it is. Whenever a person is wicked, there is absolutely nothing they can do to please God. But I want you to notice the nature of his activity here. We're talking about a, we're talking about a religious activity. The sacrifice of the wicked. Now, automatically you would think to yourself, well, you know, if a person is wicked, they wouldn't be worshiping God. They wouldn't be offering sacrifices. But that's where you're wrong. Because there are a lot of people that are absolutely, because of the fact that they are deceived, you know, they, they don't, they absolutely don't know the truth. But yet there's something within them that is missing and they know it. And they're looking for something, and all they know is religion. It might be, you know, well, my daddy was a, uh, my grandpa, they were a part of this religious denomination or that religious denomination, so, I, you know, I, it's good enough for them. I think I'll just go with that. They, you know, they're ignorant. They really don't know. Listen, that doesn't lessen their wickedness in the sight of God. I mean, they are sinful nevertheless. Ignorance is no excuse. God's given us His Word. There's no reason for us to remain ignorant about spiritual things. 
But notice how the problem is compounded when, when the deed, which in this case is the offering of a sacrifice, when it's offered up from someone, it says, with a wicked mind. Now, this is somebody that, that knows they're wrong, as it were. Somebody that knows they are sinful. And, and, and yet, for some reason, they continue to go through the motions of, of religious activity. And, you know, as I've thought about this, I, I, in the first place, nothing in the world is more disgusting to God than religion. Nothing. Because religion is that philosophy that, that tries to convince us that, you know, we can make ourselves acceptable unto God by our good works. And, you know, we, we think about the badness of the drunkard or the thief or the murderer or whoever it is, but, but sometimes we never really consider the awfulness of man-made religion. And here is somebody that is offering sacrifices to God, and it says they have a wicked mind. It's, it's almost as though they're trying to, to bribe God. Well, you know, I, I, b- believe me, I've known people that admittedly started going to church because they thought that would solve some of their problems. I can remember years ago having an uncle that, uh, that I, I loved dearly, and I, I, I'll, I'll never forget he was having marital problems and uh, going through a divorce. And this, this back whenever I was a kid, and we didn't go to church. We didn't know anybody went to church. And all all of a sudden, he started going to church. I I thought that was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard of. Where's Uncle Glenn? You know, oh, he went to church today. What? That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. I, you know, I I had no idea. And, but another strange thing happened. Just as soon as the problem got got solved, all of a sudden he had no longer had any interest in that anymore. Now, now, let me tell you, he's not alone in that. There are people all across this nation who have the idea that because they, they know they're not right, they know that they are evil, and yet some way or another they think their good works will offset their bad works. And that's that's why you hear people talk about, you know, just have to wait till they get to heaven and uh, and all of their good works are weighed against the bad works, see if they make it in. Well, you, that that's the nonsense that comes from religion. And it's a wicked mind that would uh, that would conspire, as it were, to in some way bribe God, appease His wrath, gain His favor, in order to escape the punishment that we deserve. Verse 28, a false witness shall perish. Now, there's more than one way to perish. He talked about the lazy man kills himself, and here's the false witness shall perish. But the man that heareth speaketh, uh, the man that heareth speaketh constantly. Now, the first part of this verse is really simple now it's serious but it's simple it's easy to understand uh the the point is that dishonesty is dangerous and this is a declaration that we really need in our day and age a false witness shall perish our problem is our judicial system lets them get by with it too many times 
I mean, whenever you have the chief law enforcement officer in our land plead the fifth, you know, you know something's out of whack. Something is really wrong when something like that happens. I mean, if you can't trust them, you know, who can you trust? A false witness shall, shall perish. They, you know, they might get by with it as far as man is concerned, but but God doesn't give them a free pass. Now, it's the second part of this that's really confusing. It says, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. And now, you know, we look at that word constantly, and naturally we use it just as we would today. Uh, we would say, well, he, he just talks nonstop or continually. But that's not the idea of this particular word. Now, if you go back, in fact, I have a, unabridged uh, uh, English dictionary. That thing is about that thick and no telling how big. I've had it for years and years and years. But if you go back into 1611 and look at the English language back then and you'll discover that a lot of these words, uh, you know, uh, have uh, the same word has a different meaning today. And that's true in this word constantly here because this particular word has to do with faithfulness the he that the man that heareth speaketh faithfully and it implies not changing the facts but being constant being uh uh what what word am i looking for telling the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth that that's the best way i know how to describe it and that's what he's talking about here Someone that you can depend upon whenever you know that uh, whenever they shake your hand and look you in the eye and say, this is what I'm going to do, the deal is done. It's sealed, and uh, and you know you can depend on what they say. And this this is, you know, naturally in contrast to the first part where he speaks about the false witness. Now, verse 29, a wicked man hardeneth his face. But as for the upright, he directeth his way. I pause there for a reason, because we would be more familiar with a statement like this if it says, a wicked man hardeneth his heart. Right? Because we we oftentimes use that phrase, don't we? In fact, the Bible uses that phrase. And so this would have made perfect good sense to us. But notice it doesn't say that he hardens his heart. It says he hardeneth his face. And the fact of the matter is the one often leads to the other. In other words, somebody that hardens their heart, a lot of times the, the, the hard heart is manifest in the face. In other words, their countenance is changed. And when he talks about somebody hardening his face, he's talking about someone that has no, uh, no visible emotion, somebody that is unable to blush. And you remember the Bible even talks about that, those that had sinned against God, and it said they can't even blush. Well, that's pretty much the way it is in the world we live in today, right? I mean, it's hard to even embarrass people over their sins today. They do it knowing it's wrong, but they have an attitude of defiance, and it just even shows in their face their insensible to rebuke, they have no tender feelings of concern, no intention of changing, and uh, 
this again is described as the wicked man in the in the hardness of his heart and his face. But and thank God there's a contrast. There's a change going on here. But as for the upright. So now we've taken a 180 degree turn. We're going in the other direction and we've gone from talking about the person who is wicked to talking about the person who is upright. And, and notice it says here, he directeth his way. Well, here again is one of those words that we uh, use in a different way today. But the word directeth simply means that he considereth his way. In, in, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about pondering your path. And that word pondering has to do with thinking about, you you know, meditate upon, you would investigate. You want to see where where the path leads to. You don't want to, you know, just walk without looking. And uh, that's what the wise man does. And, and here he's talking about the upright man. It's somebody that considers whether or not they're going in the right direction. And if they see they've gotten off course, they make corrections and get back on 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 the right track. That, that, that's what a that's what the upright, the righteous person does. None of us are perfect, right? The Bible says, even though the righteous man what falls, how many times? Seven times. And and we all do that. Yet he's not utterly cast down. He gets up again. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. It's not that we have reached a level of perfection in life to the extent that we no longer sin, because we certainly do. Uh, we fall. We fail. But whenever we do, uh, in the first place, the Holy Spirit won't allow us to be comfortable in a condition like that. And he begins to convict our heart of our sinful attitude and our actions that are wrong. And so as a result of that, we make the corrections that, that are necessary. So many times we think about uh, how horrible and terrible it is whenever we see a Christian uh, fail in some way. And it is. It's heartbreaking. But, but, but let me let me tell you, God can even use our failures in a glorious way because one of the great blessings of life is watching someone that has fallen or they've been knocked down flat, they have failed, and everybody knows it. They have embarrassed themselves. They can blush, and they do blush, and they are brokenhearted, and they shed tears because of it. Uh, they failed God and everybody knows it. But to watch their recovery, to watch them get up, brush themselves off and get right back in the fight. That's one of the most wonderful things in the world to see Christians do that. And, you know, on the on the other hand, there are those that, you know, they failed the same way, but they have no real interest in making matters right. And they usually end up dropping out of church. You know, after all, they've embarrassed themselves. I've had people tell me, well, I, I just I can't go back to that church. I'm just too embarrassed. Well, you know, sin can be embarrassing, but that doesn't give us that doesn't give us the right to just automatically relieve ourselves of all of our responsibilities because we failed. 
And, and I think it's a good thing when people see us willing to admit, yes, I fail, I have fallen, and, and by the grace of God, I'm going to get up and keep going. I'm not going to stay down. Verse 30, there is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. You know, the first thing I think of when I read that is, you know, I am so glad that the word, uh, you know, that the word against here isn't with. Think about that. There, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel. It would be horrible if it said with the Lord. But it says against the Lord. In, in other words, God has unlimited wisdom, unlimited power, and, and He makes Himself available. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this particular verse. He said, this proverb is not true in the strict letter. All of the wisdom and policy of earth and hell are active, are, are inactive operation, but all, all is in vain against the Lord. In other words, there, he's simply talking about the fact that there are those that would oppose the Lord and that would come against him. There's counsel against the Lord and against his people. Those that plot to do evil, that, you know, to bring down his people, to hinder his cause and what have you. But I'm telling you, they're never successful. Not in the long run. There's no counsel. You can bring together all of the wise, so-called wise men on the face of the earth. You can gather them together and convene them in a big skull session, and they can rack their brain thinking about how they're going to stamp out Christianity, how they're going to get rid of the Bible and so forth. And yet, whenever it's all said and done, we're, let me tell you, we're going to be right here. We're going to be right here tomorrow and the next day and the next day because there is no counsel against God. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that man can do to destroy the works of God. Man is no match for God. He, he is, he is, as I've often said, he is one of a kind. There's nobody like him. Now, verse 31, we're going to have to wrap this up and get out of here so the Iwana kids can come in. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Now, I don't know anybody that's not somewhat concerned about safety. Whenever I was a boy, we never, we, we never locked our doors. We never, in the summertime, we never shut our windows. We, you know, those of you my age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You didn't either. You didn't worry about stuff like that. You didn't have to have to worry about it but we live in a time where everybody locks their doors loads their guns and you know have the lights out here the alarms over here the i mean we take all kinds of precaution in order to to be safe so we're we're concerned about our safety but notice the first part of this the horse is prepared against the day of battle now re remember especially in that day the horse was an emblem of military power and activity. In fact, the old pulpit commentary said concerning the horse to the earlier Jews who were unaccustomed to its use, indeed, 
forbidden to employ it. The horse and the horse-drawn chariots were objects of extreme tear, and though Solomon had largely imported them from Egypt, these animals were used exclusively for war, and at this time their services were never applied to agricultural purposes. So that's what they thought of when they saw horses, warfare. Now, today, we, especially in Texas, we don't think about warfare when we see horses, do we? We think of rodeos or bombs and planes and all of these other things. We talk about the instruments of war today. And those things are employed for the purpose of keeping us safe. Right? I mean, that, that's why, you know, we want to have a strong military uh, here in our nation. But the whole design of this verse and of several other verses, you know, the prophet said, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we'll trust in the Lord our God. And that's the point here. Our security is not in horses, guns, bombs, planes, and, and, and all of those things. Our source of safety is in the Lord Himself. And boy, listen, if we're not right with Him, there's absolutely no way on earth that we can protect ourselves from the evil that will, will come. As the old Frenchman said, if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. In other words, our, uh, as the motto there in Hawaii goes, the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, what word am I looking for? The, our safety, our future is all bound up in the righteousness of the land. And if we're not a righteous people, we're not a safe people. But, but thank, thank God with the Lord uh, you know that we we can have that assurance. We we look back on our past history, and we so many times we look at our all of our heroes, our forefathers, as well. We should and need to pass that information on to our kids before the history books are rewritten and all of that. But the one thing that we forget about so many times is the great awakening, this great spiritual awakening. And uh, that is almost never even mentioned nowadays. And let me tell you what, it was the spiritual strength of our nation that enabled us to rise up out of the ashes and to become the great nation that we are. So thank God for that. Thank you for being here tonight. We're going to stand and be dismissed by prayer and uh, let the kids come in. Yes.